Welcome to the Map Addiction Mental Health Podcast. We started, just to give you a little background, we started this podcast to have open and honest discussions about mental health and addiction and how it affects people, how it affects many people in our society. Today, we are going to discuss benzodiazepines, otherwise known as benzos, um, what they are and the harmful effects they can have. And uh, we'll have our uh, special guest, Sonia Stiblo from the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. That's a lot. I was able to say it, but it got, I got almost botched it, but I got there. Um, joining me as always is my friend and yours, Kristen Perry Long. Tell us who you are, Chris. Hi, I am Chris Perry Long. I am a mom of five, two that are in recovery, and I work for Aware Recovery Care, which is an in-home treatment program. Uh, it's a 52-week program um, from the comforts of your home, and we have a family ed uh, department, and that's what I do. I work with the family education department. You're, you're probably the most dedicated person I know when it comes to this field and it sounds like you got a great new position that something that you really plug into even though you're wearing a patriots hat um which is part of the uh, football season's happening so we're how many uh, days Can't yeah win. we're trying with no fans but it's okay all right yeah. also joining us is our resident expert in the field of addiction from a provider standpoint he is in addiction and co-occurring disorders is kind of his specialty he's the greatest man i know oh. Willie Drinkwater, <laughs> tell us who you are. I'm getting some smoke up. Okay. Anyway, though, yeah, no, um, I've been in the field for uh, 32 years now, and uh, I'm an educator for UMass Boston and the Addiction Counselor Education Program. I have a private practice up in Beverly, Mass. And uh, I was going out nationally to lecture on substance abuse with co-occurring disorders up until the COVID. So so that's been that's been taken back a bit, but um, I love being, being here. So, And you've been in long-term sobriety? For over 35 years? 34. It'll be 35 if I'm a good you know, in uh, December. So Yeah, and you were a comedy writer, and you had a lot of different things. The WBCN in Boston, The Rock, during Ooh, the 80s, WBCN. Billy West, and Charles oh, oh, The voice of the, no, I'm kidding. Um, all right, um, as for me, I stumbled in this world. Um, I learned about the world of addiction after um, starting to work with former hockey player Kevin Stevens, and we had a show called Crosscheck Radio, which we did for um, about two and a half years with- Crosscheck uh, Recovery Radio. No, is that what it was? Yeah. I thought we changed it. And Willie was um, my uh, co-host on the show. And so um, so we're thrilled to have him as part of our, our uh, new show. Now, you guys, um, we had a particular topic. We we're going to talk about an article about benzodiazepines, but you two overruled me to talk about recovery high school. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys because- know what you're talking about and i don't so go chris chris fire what you, you know what i think is the most important piece in the promo that they had for the show and it really with vicky kelly who who did a ted talk one one time on uh on trauma issues and stuff she said a lot of times the questions that we ask people is you know what's wrong with you instead it should be what happened to you and mm -hmm. And yeah. with that, I'll turn that over to you, Chris. You know? Yeah. So MTV is doing a four part series on um, a North Shore uh, high school that a woman by the name of I'm drawing Michelle Lipinski, Lipinski's Lipinski, Lipinski yeah. um, started. And um, it's not a whole lot of students, but basically what it is, is it's a it's a 
it's a real look at what kids in the high school age um, are going through and it's it's very uh it's very raw it's so, very real That's yeah real. it's yeah. very real and how so how so so they're just they're allowing these kids to sh- to to share their experiences and to share their feelings and to share you know like what's real like yeah, it's to share the heartache of friends overdosing and dying and you know well, and that, and so last week, um, they spotlighted a couple different kids through each week. And last week they spotlighted, spotlighted, uh, three kids. Um, one girl, um, who suffers from depression and, you know, she's constantly changing what she looks like on the outside, color, her hair, the makeup, the clothing, everything, because she's trying to, to find herself, I guess. I'm not really sure, or she's trying to cover up or, or she's not happy with who she is. But in a, in a very quiet moment, you know, she described what depression was and her coping skills for depression have been um, this very nervous laugh. Um, and so they did like this little snippet of all these different scenarios that she was, has been in throughout the show and this, the, you can see the nervous laugh and you know, and, and she said, you know, my other sco- coping skill is drugs. Like it's what makes me, and we always hear this, feel normal. And um, then they did this scenario on a young man and he went missing. And his family, they showed his family with the posters and stapling them on the telephone poles. And what really struck me to the core was the mom got up with this picture of her son and um, you know, she said, I have so many friends that hold their pictures at these rallies because they've lost their son. I don't wanna be that person. And this was like her holding this picture and it gives me goosebumps because I've been at those rallies. We know what it's like to see those pictures of, of kids that have been lost. Um, let, let me ask you, go ahead, Chris. But he showed up the next day at school and they all say that school is their safe place. School is where they're not judged. School is where they can be okay, even though they're not okay. Right. Um, you now, know, go ahead. I know. Um, so it serves students 14 to 21 years old, actually, is what yep. it says. Um, my question to you is, um, it's smaller class sizes. They serve about 30 to 50 students. Um, the uh, Mass Department of Health actually funds it. Um, and if they create individual recovery plans for, for students. Here's my question. It's on the North Shore. For those out there who don't know the North Shore, it's a very affluent area, right? Would we say? Well, they're, they're all over the state. Right. There's a total of what, Chris? Is it five or six recovery high schools? Yes. Yep. There's an Osteguy in Boston. There's this one. Um, yeah. As as a as a side note, it's interesting. Osteguy is a was a fireman in Boston, and he saw what was going on with the kids, and he knew that Minnesota had this model of a recovery high school. He went out there himself, a fireman went out there, got all the information, brought it back to Massachusetts, and 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 he's the one that is responsible for getting the, the, the ball rolling, you know, they, on these recovery high schools. With Minnesota has 
tens of them. You know, yeah, they're really progressive back there. Remember a long time ago, we had a guy in from Minnesota. I don't know if you remember him talking about uh, the legislature and they're really like focusing on, um, you know, they talked to the state house and really trying to get, um, uh, you know, the state to really get into. Helping. Yeah, I'm just so glad he didn't talk about the other guy from Minnesota. Oh, <laughs> my, my no, pillow. don't go there. Don't go now, there. now, the other thing is, if you want to learn more about these recovery high schools, um, you know, the um, it's NSEDU dot org. And um, they have a number of schools. You can learn more about it. But I think it's very cool because it seems like they're really moving in the direction of 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 helping. And in, additionally, I just was told that, um, you know, my sister was telling me about the University of Maryland has a big problem with addiction right now. And I said that, you know, Boston College actually has a an addiction program on campus. Is yeah, that they have that? a recovery dorm. Yeah. There you go. So yeah. there's so, actually actually um, so there's a program. It's called Enlightened Enlightened Solutions. It's in I think it's in Pennsylvania, and they're near a college. She has this. It's it's this huge um, treatment center. It's amazing. But what she did was she built a dorm uh, on the campus of the treatment center for people that are in recovery. Huh that want to work up like she has like this restaurant, this self, you know, they farm, they restaurant, they do it all. But she built this campus, this uh, apartment or whatever building for clients to be able to go to college, but come back to a safe place. And that's actually becoming something that is more and more popular. BC has them. Um, that's great. Bill Parlow yeah. was one of the teachers. He was, right? yeah. uh, he was one of the people who used to do, services for for bc yeah okay um which is one of willie's uh runs the department at umass boston which willie is an adjunct professor um i would also um say that uh i think it's so you know i wonder how much alcoholism starts in college or in high school i mean that's really kind of where the rubber meets the road there would you say i think yeah. that a lot of you know i think that a lot of drinking does start in college um <clears throat> I think it's already kind of established and whether you go to college and you really let loose and then it really becomes a problem. I don't, I don't know. Well, I, you know, it's interesting because when you look statistically at colleges over the years and the drinking rates and everything else, drinking rates nationally at colleges is, is dramatically down. However, those that do drink tend to be the, tend to be the binge drinkers, the problematic drinkers, alcohol poisoning, that type of thing. So you see overall alcohol consumption is going down on campuses. However, those that do do drink are getting into trouble with it really quick. So. All right. Well, no, it's a good topic. Check it out. Um, you know, the website, which um, is NSEDU, the North Shore Education Consortium. So, Okay. Let's right, and if you want to watch the rest of the series, it's on MTV, and I'm sure you'll be able to um, you'll be able to watch the back the issues too. Yeah. yeah, you can watch the previous, and then like I said, there's two more weeks. So cool. I'm glad they're doing that, using the media in a way to educate people about this in a way that kind of you know reaches that audience. So yeah. good for them. I'm glad they're doing it. Uh, let's. Yeah, let's get on. right over to let's Sonia. Shift gears. Okay, so our guests right now with the the COVID going on right now and the the danger, you know, the mental health issues, the stress, the anxiety, uh, 
benzodiazepines is something that um, you may hear the term. Uh, a lot of them are Ativan, Clonopin. Uh, um, uh, uh, you know, they are a specific type of medication to regulate anxiety, but there's a lot of harmful effects with it. And we thought it would be very beneficial to the MAP and our audience to have Sonia Stiblo on from the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. Sonia worked with Willie. She's a colleague and we thought she would be make for an excellent guest. So I'm going to turn it over to Willie, who's going to do the honors and uh, sure. introduce Sonia. Okay. First, we have to get Sonia's mic on, I think, right? I'm seeing the mic symbol is uh, off. She's muted. She's muted. There we go. Ah, there we go. Sonia, good morning. How are you? Hello. Good. Thanks, Andy. That was a lot of um, complicated words. My last name. (laughs) (laughs) You did well. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We've been training him every show. It's been good. Like a a chimpanzee. (laughs) So, so, Sonia, you know, I mean... uh, Please feel free to take this where you'd want to. You know, why, why the issue with benzodiazepines? What, what is the issue all about? Take sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's difficult to sum up 60 years of <laughs> hidden medical harm in a few minutes. But um, so basically, as an overview, they're known as anti-anxiety medications. They're also used for sleep. It's the second most uh, reason that they're prescribed. You might know them as like Valium, Xanax, Clonopin. They've been around for about 60 years. They were they came in after barbiturates because they were it seemed the medical profession incorrectly thought that they were a little bit more safer because people were dying more quickly from things like phenobarbital and you know like the 1950s Hollywood vixen cliche <clears throat> drugs. So they were seen as safe for a number of decades, and it wasn't until like the mid 70s that people started to see, okay, there's some addiction and dependency issues here. Um, How I got involved with all this was I was prescribed it for sleep, basically related to childhood PTSD and like a cocktail of psych drugs that I took as prescribed in my early 20s. Um, And my life was just like, going nowhere, like, the walls were closing in and I was thinking, you know, like I'm a good patient here. I'm following doctor's orders. Like I just wasn't really getting anywhere. So I had to admit that, okay, this isn't working for me. Maybe I'll take a big chance and just get away from the clonopin. And, you know, basically my, my psychiatrist. Um, so I came off of clonopin. I did do it on my own, which you shouldn't do, but I, t- I, spent a month t- self tapering from it. Um, and I was like, okay, for the first month off, like I was a little out of it. And then, um, you know, you'll hear this term again within the victim survivor community all the time, like all hell broke loose. Like mm-hmm. at a month off, I started hallucinating, like having blepharospasms and like shaking all over my body. And like, I couldn't, you know, I, I figured, okay, I've been off for a month, like, I, I don't, maybe it's the clonopin. I don't know. Um, What's the, the next, dosage? What was the, what was the dosage you were taking? I don't even remember, but I know for sure it wasn't considered high. <laughs> and I took it. Another thing is I took it PRN as needed. So it wasn't like, okay, it's five o'clock. It was like every couple of days, like, oh, I can't get to sleep. I'll take a little bit of my clonopin as prescribed. Um, oh. So tell us, you know, for the audience, tell us about, what it does 
for you? What what does it do? Now, I have taken it. I do take it. Not frequently. I'm hypersensitive to what it, its effects are. So I'm very good at it. But I know from hearing from Willie that there's a lot of dangers to it. And I could see where that happens. Tell us about what it actually does. The dangers? Yeah. What, what does it do yeah. to your body? Yeah. What sure. So it, it works on this neurotransmitter called GABA. It's the most pervasive neurotransmitter in the body. It's a calming thing. So that's why when people take it, you know, it, it works really well at first, you become less anxious. Um, however, the problem is the theory is that over time you sort of like burn out these GABA receptors um, and they, they become down regulated. So basically it's like backfires sort of, you know, like normal drugs and alcohol, like, okay, you might feel good when you use them right away, but over time you'll become more anxious or like more depressed. And you build up, I know my grandmother every night forever used to take an Ativan and have a cocktail every night because she couldn't deal i swear to god and i'm like she doesn't have substance abuse issues now does but every night cocktail and an ativan and yeah that's like one plus one is three or four because of the right. potential had effect. to have it every yeah. single night if yeah. she yeah. didn't have it so does it build you build up a, a, a kind of a tolerance yes there. yeah you get a, a not only dependency but a tolerance so a tolerance means the effects wear off over time a dependency means if you stop you can experience withdrawal effects so it's really not a long-term solution and that's what our benzodiazepine information coalition is about um we advocate for not in general not having long-term consistent use like there we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. like they might be good for extremely intermittent situational anxiety like you fly a few times a year a lot of other uses but we really want to focus on okay the way that they've been prescribed for decades has not worked and it's it's a hard sell because it's <laughs> it's an unbelievable problem to say hey everybody you've been looking at this a little bit wrong and i shouldn't say everybody because there's some usually younger psychiatrists who will say like what are you talking about like you don't prescribe these drugs consistently and you might have older ones who are like you know, there's no consistency in the field. So we're just trying to get the message out about long-term prescribing. Well, there's, I know that William and Chris, I, I know that there's one of the dangers is uh, mixing the drugs with something else, mm -hmm. right? That um, a lot of um, substance abuse goes by combining. Can you guys speak to that? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, there's a potentiation uh, effect, right? Yeah. Sonia, go ahead. Yeah, right, right, exactly. I think I may have learned this from <laughs> Lily a few years ago. So like they create a synergistic effect in the synapse and that's when you can have a lot of like respiration, like issues. Um, I, the CDC, I believe, found that they were involved with 30% of opiate overdoses. And in 2016, the FDA put a black box warning um, on it. So yeah, you really don't want to mix. And they're really, their abuse potential by themselves is pretty low. Um, it's usually involved with like poly substance abuse. Willie, Chris, what do you think? So, want to hear from you? No, I'd like to, Sonia, Sonia, I'd like to know, like, and I think people need to know, explain exactly. So, we have our uppers, our downers, and you know, what is the attraction to benzos? What is what? 
what, you know, with heroin, we know what the attraction is. <clears throat> what is the attraction with the benzos? Because six, seven years ago, when this whole epidemic sort of started, benzos were just, you know, the person that, that I, I don't know, I just there was, it was like one in 15 was coming in with a benzo addiction. And now it's, you know, we got, we're, we're pretty high on the benzo addictions as well as yeah. opioid. So what, yeah. what is the attraction? What does it make you feel euphoric? Does it, you know, I mean, I heard a kid, oh, you guys, we were talking the other day, you know, they drink the alcohol, they, they do the Coke for the show and then they drink the alcohol to calm them down. They do the, the Coke for the show and they, what is the, why, what is the drive? I mean, really the issue is the on the prescriber's end more than anything. Um, it would be good to get into like the PMP prescription monitoring program, but like better tracking of how long, long-term prescribing is. I mean, it, it is like a really quick fix for doctors to throw at people. And it seems like it works right away. And it's like the cumulative insidiousness of issues over time is the problem. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to, to take it away from the addiction field too, we're, we're, we're talking about just the dependency factor alone. And it's like, you know, I mean, the Rolling Stones have a song where they sing about Mother's Little Helper. That's about Valium during the 60s, you know, for housewives that were feeling uh, distressed, you know, and stuff. So, you know, it's it's in, uh, you know, it just creeps up on people, too. I mean, especially like the worst cases that I've seen over the years of people trying to come off of benzos is Xanax. And I, I don't know why in particular. Maybe it's because the half-life is so short on it. But, uh, I mean, the worst detoxes I've ever seen are Xanax where people – They'll be yelling and screaming at you, and then they'll be crying for hours, and they'll be down for three hours sleeping, and then they pop back up again. Just horrible. And I know, I know in the old days of the detoxes and stuff, again, not, not trying to put this all, all on the detox piece, but, but uh, they would do the Cerax challenge with somebody that had a benzo uh, dependency. And what they would do is they would load the person with, Cer with Cerax every, every half an hour until they were almost legless to see what their tolerance was. And then in those days, this was the early 90s, uh, the protocol was 7, 14, 21, or 28 days to be detoxed off of the benzodiazepine. And nowadays, the detoxes are what, five to 10 days? I mean. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really, it sounds unbelievable, but we've seen so many people like in these online groups talking mm. about like the detox really got me in trouble. Like, mm. that's why we're moving away towards people yeah. doing it more at home. Um, mm. And at the end, like I'll give some helpful resources and I, I want to, I'll probably say this twice, but you know, you don't want to stop. You might be concerned about this. You never want to stop abruptly. Um, not only because you could have a seizure, but you can have these like long-term euphemistically called protracted withdrawal syndromes, which is what I had. So I came off and the next three years of my life were a living hell. Like I couldn't walk straight my pupils would randomly go back and forth, like talk about feeling like your brain has been scrambled, yeah. extreme depression. Um, so it's, it's really a grassroots movement. Um, so like these online sites, like benzobuddies.com, like they have an insane amount of traffic, like recorded 250,000 hits in, in one month, because obviously something is not going right. And you can find a lot of information about like, liquid titration at home, <laughs> tapering strips. Um, there's so, one, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to uh, finish your 
Sure. Uh, sorry for jumping in. No worries. So there was a psychiatrist, she's sort of like the patron saint of benzodiazepine victims in the 1980s who ran a withdrawal clinic in the UK. And she actually had some really great information. Her name is Heather Ashton. And um, she came out with this thing called the Ashton Manual for people who are interested in coming off. I highly re recommend looking at it. It was like a great start to start thinking about withdrawal from benzos in the, the correct manner. Um, but really they should be patient led tapers, like, you know, depending on where your symptoms are, if you have too many, hold back. But that's a great resource to bring to people's providers. Um, it's free, it's available on our website, it's online, Ashton Manual. So I have a question. I was reading an article in filter.com. Um, I always find new sites when I start to research our different topics and guests. And um, one of the things that they're saying is that benzos and opioid combinations have become a very important concern right now because um, the addictive and depressant effects can actually lead to death. Can you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, all I really know is that 30% staff that they're when you know they've looked at the CDC has looked at OD deaths from opiates, and you know it seems very likely that benzos were involved with uh, like respiratory depression okay. with those ODs. So this will bring so so for people who are taking it or take it and have been prescribed it or thinking about it, it will correct me if I'm wrong. It will reduce your breathing. Yes. And and kind of. You know, so it almost sounds like it could be there's other alternatives out there to benzodiazepines that can have the same effects or are there positive effects? Yeah. I mean, CBT, like meditation, grounding, I mean, grounding right. techniques. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Which yes. is self-talk yeah. and, and kind of, you know. Doing... I mean, a surprising one that, you know, like during the COVID and everything with anxiety, one one of the one of the surprising things that I that I made a suggestion to a client and he and he started to do it and he said it worked is when when he when he begins to feel the onset of anxiety he just goes into the bathroom and he splashes cold water right into his face a couple of times and it's enough just to snap him out of that beginning stage of the anxiety creeping in so right, right. I, Chris what do you say you chime in there Chris so I went to a um, Newport Academy um event and they talked about patterns and everything we do in life pretty much has a pattern like we get up in the morning and we we have a routine pattern routine whatever you want to call it and when you have this anxiety and it's starting to kick in you you got to break the pattern so you know he talked about he's a mu he's a music teacher part of um newport academy and he talked about finding that music that can help you redirect where your brain and where your body's going through. <clears throat> um, another thing that somebody, I don't know if we had talked about it before, Willie, is that when you feel that anxiety coming on, you go to a room and you just start saying picture. Ground, grounding techniques, yeah. Ground. But here's the thing, that's all great, right? As someone who suffers from anxiety, how do I even get to that point to, to do that? Like my wife asked me yesterday, let's go meditate. Let's go in the yard and let's meditate. I'm like, I don't want to meditate. 
And she's like, you're going and we're meditating. Well, you know, one of, one of the, one of the things about meditation too, is there, there's a, there's a tech there's in Zen, there's what, what's called Kinhin, which is walking meditation. So if you have a tough time sitting still, uh, I'm by Lake Quantipowitan Wakefield. It's 3.2 miles around the lake. Take a w- walk around the lake, look out at the water, let your head empty out as best you can. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go to Cambridge Adult Continuing Education, learn to sit in lotus position, have incense burning, repeating a mantra over and over again. <laughs> it could be going for a walk where you get into that and you walk, like I've, I've walked the lake so many times that my feet know where the potholes on the sidewalk are. I don't even have to think about it. I just right. go right around. What do you do, Sonia, to... Um kind of how did you recover from from benzodiazepines what were some of the the practices that you put into place sure i mean basically if you don't want anxiety you don't take long-term benzos is kind of all i can say um yeah so there's a lot of like murky area like people don't like for years i thought everything i was experiencing was my underlying condition and it was in fact like effects of taking these drugs long term Mm But interesting. um, Yeah. And we see that again and again. That's why it's been, you know, this problem has persisted for so long. People takes them a while to figure it out. And if they do, they're lucky. But so I came off and like, I felt like I was in, uh, people compare this feeling to like, like a wounded animal. Like it's like a real, like, I felt like I was in a panic attack for like three years. Um, just is it physical? Is it physical symptoms or is it more mental or is it both? It's everything. It's psychiatric. It's like being in alcohol detox for years. <laughs> psychiatric, okay. um, physical problems. So, I mean, at that point, like you, you kind of just have to like people put up sticky notes, like don't kill yourself. Um, but mm-hmm. to get back to how I'm doing today, like I'm pretty much okay. <laughs> right. Like, you know, I'm right. fortunate that way, but like, you know, I used to think I had the worst sleeping problems and it was all like, you know, the drugs and affecting, like affecting my REM cycles. And now like just something as simple as having the shades up for the morning light to come in, it sounds hokey and like, oh, okay, oh. that's not going to work for me. But it's, I think about it all the time. Like, it's unbelievable. Like I, something like sleep hygiene has like totally transformed my life. There's no side effects from having your shades up. Like, do, do you avoid like so Chris and I as someone who has anxiety Chris and I were taking a walk one day um, and uh, earlier in the summer we've taken a walk and it was very crowded on the bike path and I'm like I gotta get off remember Chris I was like I, I, I can't take this I gotta this isn't working for me right now all these people now I could continue to walk and complain and be stressed that I'm walking on this path with all these people, I just took another route and said, that's not working for me. So, I mean, would you suggest like, you know, almost changing kind of, you know, just a simple adjustment, would those be things that can kind of help? Yeah, personally, I think you have to balance, um, you know, like times when you say, give yourself a break, like, okay, I want to get away from people. But I also am like, for some exposure therapy, like you want to increase your distress tolerance. There are times when you you can't. Um, And that's one of the problems I think with benzos, like it's doesn't make you face things physically or mentally. Um, It's a crutch. It's a crutch. Right. 
how much cases do you see? And I want to talk about the bill in a second too, but how many cases, how many cases do you guys see Willie and Chris um, in your world? Do you see a lot of benzodiazepines as a solo or do you see it, you know, as part of an overall product? I see it as they go into treatment addicted to one thing and they walk out of treatment addicted or set up to become addicted to other things. I don't understand why, you know, the, I don't understand why kids go in with, um, you know, a heroin addiction and they walk out because they had anxiety and they're prescribed, gap, um, they're prescribed Xanax and they're prescribed gabapentin because they've got um, uh, neuropathy and, you know, you're giving them all these mind altering drugs and we're not dealing with the problem the, the root of the problem well the gabapentin's be being prescribed for anxiety you know too and it's like it's an off-label use really and it's uh you know and as i've spoken on the show before you know i mean that's one of the things you're 18 to 25 coming out you want to make sure that you have a script for the street name or johnny's for gabapentin and stuff and then you and then you take it with red red bull and you get a buzz and it's called southie soba you know He's like Southie soba. but i mean i'm finding on the north shore i get a lot of people on the north shore that are just benzos how do you guys work thank you i mean how do you guys work together how does sonia and willie how do you connect like what's the relationship we there? connect on information you know information and you know what's going on in the world you know in the world of benzodiazepines and mental health yeah, every once in a while I'll get an email where he's like, we got another protracted case. Um, yeah. yeah. Are, are there young people? Are there young people? Does it affect young people diff more di differently than older people? Are there, um, is there a higher risk? And do you see a lot of young people? Well, I mean, older people, older people, well, one of the biggest problems is, I mean, one of the biggest places, you know, for older people to have mental health issues is down the Cape. They retired down the Cape, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they're, their partner of 30 years or 40 years passes away. They're by themselves. The Cape is only acting three or four months out of the year. It's, it's pretty desolate the rest of the year. You know, and then they start feeling anxious being alone, and that, that just starts the cycle off. But know? what about children? But what about young adults, 17, 16, 17? Yeah. Other I mean, they're prescribed to the, – the elderly get them hit a lot they're actually on like the beers list of drugs not recommended not to be prescribed yeah yeah you know and elderly and, people yes yeah, so sonia and the and the thing also that doctors a lot of times forget the fact is that when you're older you have a slower metabolism right yet, yet you're prescribing a dose that you would if someone is 30 or someone is 80 it's the same right. it's like, also right. prescribed to women two to one who metabolize things differently there's a lot of research with like hip fractures and people falling and there's a lot of research connecting it. The jury's out and it's controversial to Alzheimer's disease, like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really not great for elderly people. My mother, 86, two years ago, fell, broke her hip, had the surgery. They discovered she had a heart problem. Like after the surgery, she ended up having like a minor heart attack after the surgery. So then they went in, did stents and she had a massive heart attack and got out, did the whole rehab thing. She's always had pain. Um, so I was down, she lives in Florida. I was down on a visit. I think it was last year. I think we talked about this briefly. And they have my mom and she's, like I said, she's, she's 86 now, so she was 84. She's probably about 140 pounds soaking wet. They have my mom on 800 milligrams of gabapentin. And my mom's like, okay, I walk with the walker to start with 
I can barely pick my feet up. All I do is sleep. This is too much. And the doctor proceeded and I'm in there with her and I'm listening. And this is kind of like when they just started to talk about uh, recategorizing gabapentin. And I'm listening to him and she's like, I just think it's too much. She was trying to advocate, but he's like, no, no, no. You have to let it build up in your body and da, 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 da. And she's like, but you don't understand. She goes, I, I don't do anything. It just, it makes me feel heavy and, and motionless. And, and he wasn't, he wasn't listening to her. He was not listening to her. So I stepped in and I said, you know, so why exactly is my mother who weighs 150 pounds, maybe tops prescribed so much? Well, you know, she has a, a pretty significant back problem and hip and did it. And I'm like, okay, but did you not just hear? And we went back and forth and I said, and, and you realize that they're recategorizing this drug, right? And he goes, no, they're not. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, and, and who are you? And I'm like, I'm this, I'm her daughter and I work in the field of addiction. And he, he changed his demeanor. He, whatever, he was not very nice. He was not very nice at all because I don't know, like I haven't gotten into that. I mean, it's all rumor mill if they get their pockets padded or not, you know, for however many drugs they prescribe. But you know, there's my mom. I live 1500 miles away. She's taking care of my dad who's 90, you know, and she can't even get up out of her chair because she's zombified. So the elderly, that's just another, they they just, you know, it's sad. It's very sad. Um, so let's talk about, okay, so now you're trying to do something about it, right? You're, you're, you're an advocate to try to fight this. Right. Tell us about kind of the work you're doing with, uh, the benzodiazepine information coalition. What are you doing there? How are you, um, you know, what does the coalition do specifically? And tell us about the bill that you're doing that's happening. Right. So the org is more about education. Like we create, you know, like CME videos for psychiatrists, me as a person not associated with the org I'm involved with an informed consent uh, bill in Massachusetts that will mandate um, providers providing a form to patients. Basically we're mostly concerned about, or I am warning about long-term use and they want to put the warnings on the label. So some of these warnings already exist. Like it might blow your mind to find out that the makers of Ativan, you're on Ativan in the small print of their drug leaflets say that long-term use is not recommended. So we want to take those warnings, put them on the bottle. Some states like uh, New York and Pennsylvania already have like guidelines, you know, suggesting against this long-term consistent use. It's just not translating to practice. So Massachusetts would be the first state that I'm aware of and pretty sure that would, you know, make regulation mandatory a little bit more. Um, And the Massachusetts Medical Society, you know, really powerful psychiatrist has been fighting us, uh, really saying some dirty things like at at public hearings. Why? Money. Money, but also I think it's really more about ego. Like people really aren't making that much money off of benzos anymore. Like they're generic at this point. Yeah, no, no, no. I was thinking in terms of the stock. The stock, if you if you have stock in the pharmaceutical firm making it, and you're a subscriber, is also so we talk benzodiazepine. I thought I'd throw that out there. So it's not Ativan is the brand name, but lorazepam is the generic name. Just yeah, as edification, just because we didn't really mention that particular 
Right. So, I mean, like a lot of these providers, like obviously they're not nefarious and they're well-meaning, like maybe Chris's mother's was kind of a jerk, but he's following, um, you know, sort of standard practice. So we want to codify because it's, it's really desperate. There are people, tons of people dying from this. It's completely preventable. We want to just make the warnings, bring them to the public more. Another avenue is approaching the attorney general, but I mean, there's like only so many hours in the day. Okay, so um, if people want to learn more about your work, where can they where can they go to to find out more? Yeah, so they can go to uh, benzoinfo.com. If you're in Massachusetts, you want to get involved with policy change, which sounds really like a lot of work. It doesn't have to be like other people are doing the hard work for you. You want to respond to call to actions every so once in a while and reach out to your legislator and send a pre-made email, they can email me at Sonia, spelled with a J, S-O-N-J-A, uh, at benzoinfo.com. Um, and I can add them to an email list that keeps them abreast of what's going on legislatively. Excellent. Now, uh, I guess long-term, do you see this problem growing? Do you see the benzodiazepine? In other words, we know opioids. Everybody, I think, it was picking up on the fact that opioids are so dangerous. Right. We know heroin. Right. We know all this. Do you see benzodiazepines becoming the drug of choice or rapidly growing at this point? Well, the stats are not great. Like since the pandemic, <laughs> there is uh, Cigna information came out that prescriptions increased 34 percent in from February to March, um, just because anxiety has gone up for obvious reasons. And um, yeah, in long term prescribing has increased 50% from 2003, I think, to 2015. Like, this is bad. And numbers of prescription are going up. Like, there's more information coming out, like, from our organization. So there's some talk back, but it's it's not good. It's not good. So if I were going to the doctor, right, and the doctor said, so I was talking to my doctor, and she said, and yet she didn't prescribe it. She said there was a an alternative to lorazepam that has a non-addicting dependency. Are there any drugs like that out there that help regulate anxiety? Um, I'll say not that, that I'm really aware of, like, it's, yeah. it's really not my area, but. I mean, I have clients now that are that, uh, uh, you know, that are placed on clonidine Clonidine, yeah. which is a blood pressure med, which helps with anxiety, can can help with anxiety. It's considered an anxiolytic. So yeah. So, but, so uh, if so if I go to a doctor, right, uh -huh. and I go to my doctor, and my doctor says I'm going to prescribe you lorazepam, or I'm going to give you clonopin, or whatever. Um, you obviously should be an advocate for yourself, knowing that they are, you know, just giving you that, and that's the easy way. Well, I, th I think anytime a doctor prescribes anything psychoactive, they should be making sure that you're actually connected to a therapist because, you know, don't you want somebody to see if that medication is working or not? Right. You know, an, an independent person. Right. I mean, I'm seeing that more and more now where like, uh, uh, you know, North Shore Physicians Groups, which are part of Partners Healthcare, which is now Massachusetts General Brigham, but but they have a social worker in the office. And if it comes up where a primary care or, or an NP is going to be, be prescribing something psychoactive, you know, the social workers are calling to hook that person up with a therapist. Because right, I don't right. think you should ever just, you know, 
but yeah, part of the problem with me was like the drugs were so brain damaging to myself. I couldn't accurately evaluate their effects on me. There's a term medication spell binding that mm. accounts for that phenomenon. I didn't ask you, like, what was the, the impetus for getting off of them? Like how, how did that, um, you may have mentioned it, but how did you decide I've had enough taking those? What was the, the, the cause of how, how did you arrive there? I, I felt like I had nothing left to lose. I, and thank God it was like a life-saving decision because I just had to look around and just be like, okay, like I'm still pretty anxious, depressed. And I thought I was taking a big chance. I was like, either my underlying thing is going to be much worse or I'm going to change course and this could really help me. And thank God it did. But I mean, I suffered for a long time after. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, I had mentioned to, to Sonia before that I had a client who was taking benzos as as prescribed. He wasn't going over the top. And, uh, you know, and then he wanted to stop taking them. And I, I've been working with him for two years now. And it was, you know, waking up in the middle of the night crying and, you know, having these, you know, these outbursts of rage. And, yeah. you know, I'd be better off dead. And, you know, yeah. just really roller coaster for two years. He's finally come back to an even plane again. Right. And I also just want to add that that doesn't happen to everybody. It seems right. like the minority, but it's a sizable minority. And there's no way to predict who's going to have these terrible withdrawal With your syndromes. body chemistry. Uh, by, yeah. yeah, the benzodiazepine, as I refer to, the benzodiazepine syndrome, where right. it's just... Yeah off the charts well no this is incredibly helpful because i know people you know everybody's i mean i'm totally anxious right now i'm completely anxious i'm trying to figure out ways you know i like chamomile tea chamomile tea is really good it calms me down um walking um talking to people not isolating things like that but ultimately at the end of the day you're going to have to individuals are going to have to do the work to you know you, you can give them the information but until you decide that I don't want to do it anymore, or I don't want to take these, or I want to find an alternative has to be on you. Right. And as like someone in the mental health field, like I always look out, like when people say I'm depressed or mm -hmm. especially agoraphobia, you see with long-term benzo use, um, are you on a long-term benzo? Like that can eliminate a lot of the problem. Mm. Certainly did in, in my case. I'm not saying that, you know, like organic problems don't exist, but it's something like, you know, someone has heart disease, are you, are you a smoker? Like, it's something to think about, you know? The long-term thing. Okay, so give your website one more time. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on uh, to uh, to share this information. I think it's incredibly valuable. Thanks so much. Uh, it's benzoinfo.com. That one's easy. Excellent. Sonia Stiblo from the – hold on, I'm going to say it. The Benzo – diazepine information coalition all right <laughs> um so um that's our show for today um chris are you still there yeah i'm here sorry about that okay okay um at least you're not doing the lunch or the folding laundry so we got that going for us which is good um that's our show for the week please like us on facebook um we are at facebook.com the map 2020 Thank you to Sonia, Willie, Chris, and of course, Michael Weber back at the worldwide headquarters of Foxborough Cable Access Television. Go Patriots!
Go Patriots. <laughs> Actually, I'm kind of digging Cam Newton. I think he's going to be great. And and I'll, I'll give you my theory on that offline. Anyway, that's our show for the week. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week with our, uh, our next episode of The Map. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.